My name is Jim Lujan, and this is who I am. My guest today is animator and storyteller, Jim Lujan. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the garage. Wow, that's it's. We started. Yeah, hit the ground running. Just go right. Thank in. you for having me too. Mm, by no, the way, thank you. <clears throat> so um, it's kind of lucky. I didn't realize you worked so close. So it kind of worked out nice. Yeah, I, I love Glendale. It's, mm-hmm. it's like one of my favorite cities. It's right up there with Pasadena. Yeah, <laughs> on my platter because Pasadena, Glendale, Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I've se- I think I've seen clocks up on walls that say those two <laughs> cities. But. Those are the recognized time zones, I believe. <laughs> um, a lot of your work, you, you do animation, and a lot of your work uh, is uh, grounded in uh, Southern California and and, and uh, it seems like in the east of L.A. especially. Um, did you grow up around here? I guess? Yeah. I Well, technically, I guess you could call it East L.A. because it's east of L.A., mm-hmm. but it's the San Gabriel Valley, right? which is, I guess, anything east of... Glendale, Pasadena, and all right. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up grew up in a town called West Covina. Mm-hmm. Um, many of our presidents are from there. I don't know if you know that or not. <coughs> George Washington, <laughs> George Bush, <laughs> George Papadopoulos, all of the. Um, West Covina is kind of a very suburban Brady Bunch town. Mm-hmm. A really mixed, um, diverse. Diversively, is that a word? It's diversively mixed. Um, so I, I grew up seeing a lot of different um, ethnicities and cultures and things like that, and that was really great. But West Covina is also, I'm pretty sure it's if there was a homeland for Applebee's, it would be West Covina. <laughs> so Chili's, Chili's, $1, Applebee's. What is it? The yeah, a lot of 99-cent stores. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, 99-cent stores, Applebee's. It's... It's not quite um, Silver Lake, but mm-hmm. it's what I grew up, where I grew up. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because in L.A., one of the things I've noticed about L.A. is that even though it's very diverse and, or diversely mixed, it's it's very um, neighborhoody. And you can really, there's like a, beca- I guess because you have to drive to get from one spot to the next, you get really isolated very quickly. So to have a, an area that has so much, um, in happening in there is kind of interesting. Also, with the San Gabriel Valley, I think there's something that I never really hear people talk about, but I think a lot of people from the San Gabriel Valley have sort of a chip on their shoulder because we're kind of the New, the New Jersey of Los Angeles. <laughs> it's like nobody, when people talk about the valley, they never talk about the San Gabriel Valley. Mm-hmm. They talk about the, the valley, yeah. you know, San Fernando. And, uh, Growing up, when I would hear songs like Valley Girl or, or movies, you know, Three Days in the Valley, I, I just thought, oh, they mean San Gabriel Valley, I, you know, and then I realized, oh, no, we're the stepchild, you know, we're, we're below the stepchild, we're the, the neighbor who, you know, has a sleepover. Um, but also, there's so much, like, so much undiscovered entertainment in the San Gabriel Valley, like, people don't know, you know... Uh, those that do know really appreciate it. Like, for example, food. I mean, you can get the best, best Chinese food in the San Gabriel Valley, best Mexican food in the San Gabriel Valley, mm-hmm. all that stuff. 
it's it, there's a lot of really legit things in the San Gabriel Valley, and there's a lot of diversity too, and, and um, so there's that that side of it. But uh, I've always felt like an outsider in Los Angeles and in Hollywood. It, it's not really somewhere I grew up, so I, it's a nice place to visit. But mm-hmm. you know, my heart's in Pasadena. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how did you start telling stories, especially with the with animation? think as um there was a time when i wanted to do live action i -hmm. wanted to direct to write films and direct them and and then i realized soon on that in real life you have to get real life actors to show up and you have to get real life permits i guess if you're gonna do things the right way and just it, it just had a different flow to it and i've always drawn i've always done art I was the little kid that when visitors would come over, friends of my brothers would come over, I'd run with a new comic book that I made for them mm-hmm. or made to show them, and I was always doing that. And, and I've always done music. My I imitated my older brothers who did music, and um, I just found that animation was the perfect uh, format to to have fun in all of those areas, art, acting, music, everything, directing. I mean, you, you set the stage, and it's just your creativity. Um, so around the early nineties, I started kind of dabbling in it, mm-hmm. um, or actually the mid nineties and late nineties, I actually sat down and did an animatic for the first time Right on a, you know, I filmed it on a, on a VHS camera. I mean, that's how old it was. And I really liked it. I had a good time doing it. Um, around that time, uh, Mike Judge was just coming on the scene and I saw his, um, I think it was Frog Baseball or Inbred, Inbred Jed's homemade cartoons. Mm-hmm. I saw that in um, Spike and Mike's. Right. And when I saw that, it was like a revelation. I'm like, that guy draws like I draw. I can do that. <laughs> and so that kind of set me on the path. And um, I think sometime around 2003, my growth became just, that's as far as you're going to go as an animator. <laughs> <laughs> just stop right there. Um and uh, I found it, it's a great, for me, it's like the perfect uh, perfect stage for storytelling. Right. And um, I, again, would I love to do live action, but that requires lots of things that I'm not willing to invest the time or the money in. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather just tell my, my stories. Yeah. So. Do you feel like, um, I, I was talking with uh, my brother-in-law mm-hmm. about this and my my. Uh, father-in-law about this over Christmas and we were saying that there's um, because there's so many avenues to present stories now it kind of it feels like there should be more um, you know more willingness to present stories in different formats and to have Aurora and but everything seems to be rushing towards this very polished and very finished look, especially in like comic books. Everything has to have this certain look now to get to pass muster. And <clears throat> one of the things I liked about your animation is that it it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to emulate a Disney cartoon or something else. It's its own thing and it's existing and it's there. And it feels like more storytellers should be like doing that, you know. Yeah. You know, and it, I don't know if it's if it's they are, and we just we just don't know because there's so many of them that we don't really see them, or they're not. And you know the the like 
for lack of a better word, indie filmmakers or, or more guerrilla filmmaking style was like a blip rather than a norm and we, we, we've kind of passed it by. How do you feel? Do you feel like the stuff you do falls into any of those categories or is it... What if my what if I was really trying to emulate Disney and I'm sorry. my feelings are really hurt right now? There is a no, tear. I, yeah, I'm going to wipe it away. Um, boy, I, I think we're living, and this goes for music as well, I mm-hmm. think we're living in a in a really golden age right now for opportunity. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everybody's taking advantage of that opportunity as much as they should, but, I mean, you can put anything out now. That's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, I'm also starting to see the value of gatekeepers a little bit, mm-hmm. or I shouldn't say gatekeepers, but uh, curators, I guess, yeah. because it's somebody to collect things at a certain level of of quality, I guess you could say, um, because the fact that every, anybody could put anything out, it, it gets a, you get lost in a sea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, I don't know, I think right now I'm, I'm a big, big believer in not waiting to tell that story. If you can tell, if you have your Star Wars in your head, there's no more waiting, you know, 10 years till, you know, Paramount or, you know, somebody calls you and, and says, let's invest in your movie about, you know, skateboarding lizards, you know, let's, you should, you can do one now. I mean, and what usually happens now is you'll do a less, uh, a lower budget version and they see it and then they want to turn that into mm-hmm. a bigger, but the fact that you can do it yeah. and the fact that you can do it on a certain, on a lower level and it looks great and it sounds great is really exciting. So now it's it really is up to the imagination of the person. I think if somebody does something really commercial now, they usually get snatched up though. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that we're in this sort of the same scenario as we were 20 years ago. You know, we're st- people are still it's almost like the the garage band that was waiting for the big record company to sign them. I think we kind of have that mentality still yeah. that you're validated when you when Fox calls you or you're validated when so and so call you, and that actually, in my opinion, is is still true yeah. because you are validated because the minute you tell somebody, oh, I'm working on a on character designs for a, a show on HBO, people get really excited and it's like you're real all of a sudden to them, mm-hmm. and and that's fine. That'll never go away. But we're really in a great era to make cool stuff and and i think the more people that make cool stuff the more it'll spread excitement you know um and i i think it's out there it's we're in a weird it's kind of like the wild west now Mm -hmm. where it's people are doing what they want and i think that's great but i'm looking for more of uh um I don't know. I'm looking for well, selfishly, I'm looking for more people to do stuff like I do because <laughs> I want. I love having peers, and it's kind of hard to find people. Usually, if they if you're an indie or an underground animator, mm-hmm. you're usually doing really you know sort of X-rated stuff, or you're doing stuff that's more anime. Yeah, you know. But uh, there's a few of them out there. There's a few weirdos. <laughs> so. What's your process? What do you do in at, like? from start to finish what when does the story form and when do you start when do you say this is this is a story and i'm gonna see it through for the most part i i'll i'll come up an idea will just you know float into my head from Mm -hmm. outer space i guess (laughs) um but 
I mean, it, it can happen a few different ways, but mostly um, I'll come up with an idea. I want to tell a story about uh, a guy that does such and such, you know, for a living. Or, or, that's usually it. Or, or, or some a, a character will pop into my head like, oh, that you know, I'll see a plumber or I'll see, you know, a game show host or something, and I'll be, how would my version of a game show host and what what could happen to this game show host that would make it unusual or different? Mm-hmm. And then it's just about remembering to put my own style into it. Just be natural with it. Don't try to make it for a certain uh, network or make it for a certain audience. Just what what do I believe is the best version of that story and have fun with it? Because once you run out of fun, you run out of fuel making something. Mm-hmm. But it usually starts with a really um, a broad idea. Um, I've noticed though, and just looking back at a, a lot of the, um, cartoons I've created, they never come out how they're in my head. <laughs> they're <laughs> always coming out. It's, it, it's, everything is usually a happy accident, right? but it's kind of neat because I'm, I'm working on one now and I had it in my head a certain way. I never learn. And once I started tackling it, I'm like, this is a different film than the one that was in my head, but it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because... I'm seeing it for the first time too. Mm-hmm. Even though I have it planned in my head, I, I'm seeing it. So it's kind of have it has its own life. And then you got to run with that too. If if something is is pulling you in a direction that's really strong, if you fight it, you're going to make something that's kind of that's weaker than mm. it could be. So I um I I was talking with somebody once, and they said, "Yeah, your animation's more like <laughs> like jazz, like impro- Im- improvisation." I almost said improvisation, like Madonna, <laughs> but, um, but it, which is really weird for animation because animation's so planned out and yeah. so thought out, and and that it's true. I like to be able to to change directions in, in mid story, or or um, I like the flexibility that mm-hmm. my style allows because you can go anywhere with it, or you can go nowhere. You can stay, you know, mm-hmm. within your confines, but. I like that freedom, and that's that's uh, always comes back to freedom for me. Mm-hmm. I like the freedom of being able to do what I want to do mm. when I want to do it to who I want to do it. <laughs> well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> do you do do you record the voices? Do you script and record the voices before you you animate, or is it? Um, um yes, and yes, I would say yes. For when I use guests' mm-hmm. uh, voices, I do. Um, I'll sit somebody down and don't really have a script. Usually, I have notes, right? And I'll say, hey, say this, and then they'll, they'll say it. Um, but I don't write out a full script um, um, for the most part. And when I'm, it's by myself, I'll have notes. I'll have little cheat notes, and I'll have a thumb. Sometimes I use thumbnails, storyboard. Um, usually I'll have the artwork done first mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, I guess, I guess the, the true answer to that would be I, I've done it every way. I've done it. I have done where there's a full script, and and read it, you know, and and then used a storyboard. And I've done cartoons where there's no. I, I made it up as I went along. Mm-hmm. I kind of had an idea in my head. But um, there's one called Freak Daddy, and that one was not storyboarded. Everything that you see on 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 the um, screen is was the first time. So right. the first time you see him in drawn as a character is the first time I ever do that character. And I, I went through the whole movie like that. I knew where I was going to go, but um, 
on that cartoon, I also learned the, the joy and value of reusing artwork. <laughs> I love reusing artwork. It's the best. So, Yeah, that's worked for the best of them as well. It's not <laughs> <laughs> that's how you build up a huge catalog, <laughs> by the way. Um, a lot of your stories, uh, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of them uh, the, have this kind of, this this grounding of uh, of hyper-reality for someone or a couple of individuals who are experiencing reality completely differently from everybody else. And it's like a lot of it seems to come from the reaction of real reality to these these heightened people. Is that, so, is that something that... I feel like I should pay you for therapy <laughs> right now. That's probably so accurate. That's it's scary. Um, I had a friend ask me the other day, what's the common thread in a lot of your cartoons? And I truly really try to think of a smart answer to that. <laughs> and I, th- I, I guess the common thread would be um, accidental truth being told through my cartoons because I never really think about it. Hmm. So what seems to appear time... One thing that does seem to appear quite a bit is, are my characters are usually the type of characters that would be a background character mm-hmm. in another film. There would be the hero, the villain, you know, a couple of the henchmen, and then there'd be these background characters. And my my leads are usually the background characters. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're not interesting, but it means like, wow, you th- this is, you know, this is not your typical hero mm-hmm. or anti-hero. Um, and I like that. I like when I watch movies, I always look at the side men and go, that guy would be interesting if he was the lead. Yeah. Why does the lead always have to look like Tom Cruise? <laughs> you know, why can't the lead look like Danny DeVito in an action movie mm-hmm. or in a, you know, in a non-Danny DeVito type role? Um, so I'm going to put Danny DeVito in every cartoon from now on. So that's a, I just decided that right now. Um, <laughs> but I, I like I like strange characters like that mm-hmm. as the focus. And then it kind of goes from there. Does that come from growing up in San Gabriel Valley? Oh, I, I think so. I, I think so because, again, it becomes Chicago. Chicagoans must have a little bit of this chip, too, for, for New York because, I mean, when you're living on, you know, um, in an area that's not spotlighted, um, or spotlit, I guess, it would be, <laughs> it, I guess you get kind of a, like, all right, I'm going to show you my version. Like nobody's watching. I'm going to do my my stuff. You know, I don't live in, you know, I don't live in the ho- underneath the Hollywood sign. You know, I live by the original In and Out Burger, which is ten times better. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I think it does come from there. I think it it comes from starting my my footing is already on weird, odd, uneven ground. Mm-hmm. So everything that comes from there, I, I guess, is a little bit off kilter. And I never sat down to say, I'm going to do weird cartoons or I'm going to do like these dark cartoons or I, it's just, it's just kind of, I guess if it was music, it would be the same story. It's like, why does your music all sound like traffic accidents? <laughs> because I grew up near a freeway. How long does it take you to, to do a piece? To do a, a, let's say, like a five-minute cartoon usually uh-huh. take... I've done... I was doing one a month for a while. Wow. I was doing one a month. Um, to do... You know, it's it's kind of funny. The longer cartoons don't... It, the math doesn't add up. The longer cartoons I work on, actually, um, if it takes me, let's say, a month to do five minutes, I, I've done an hour-long cartoon, and I did that in about eight months. 
So the math doesn't add up there. So for some, for some reason, longer cartoons I work on faster because mm. I don't have to edit myself as much, I think. Right. Yeah, but uh, it's about that, about, yeah. Um, again, reusing artwork. When I say reusing artwork, I mean I'll draw a, um, a character from the front, side, and back, and I'll, I'll reuse them in Photoshop and change the colors, change the outfits and things like that. But uh, I'm I'm a very very lazy artist when it comes to <laughs> animating. I, I I try to look at all the shortcuts. I try to work smart, not hard. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to work smart. So, <laughs> uh, what's the um, what is the, the 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 you said you did one that was an hour long? Is mm-hmm. there like uh, do you have a grand story at some stage that you like uh, that's been uh, yeah. bugging you? And oh yeah, there's a few of them. I there, there's a I have a handful of cartoons that I'd love to do as an hour-long version, and I will. I, I think I will. Um, that, by the way, the hour-long cartoon I did was called um, "Counterclockwise in Foreverland," and it's it stars this rap duo from Cleveland called Counterclockwise. They're real, real mm-hmm. people. I did some music videos for them, and and I told one day we said, you know, we should do a movie, but not. And we're never going to get financing, so let's just do it ourselves. So I created this story that's kind of like. The Flash meets um, meets the Wiz, kind of, mm-hmm. and and it was fun. And mo- momentum carried us all the way through. Um, it got interrupted in the middle um, because I was contacted by um, Titmouse, by Chris mm-hmm. Pronowski from Titmouse, and they wanted to do um, a series from one of, of one of my cartoons mm. um, called San Giorno Must Die. So go check that out. But um, and I did that in the middle, and then I went back to. So even with that little break, it only took me about nine, ten months to do mm. an hour's worth of animation. Um, again, not Disney, but it it works and it's really entertaining, and people like it. And um, you know, I guess if you don't think about it too, I didn't think about when I was setting off to do an hour. I didn't do the math, like wow, this is going to take me such and such long. But um, I've. I've really refined my process too. Mm-hmm. I really got a um, a method down that I could work really quick, and I, I like that. It helps me to get the ideas from my head to the stage quicker. Mm-hmm. They still come out different though. <laughs> is this uh, this is whilst holding down a day job? You've been yeah, doing? I've always worked. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there, you know what? I should I I did go like a year and a half without working, mm-hmm. and part of that was paid because I was working on Revengeance and and some other stuff, doing a little bit of freelance. And that was great. It was the time of my life. Then when the money ran out, <laughs> I hated it. I hated not working. Um, and I also realized, too, during that break, that I, I really don't want to be like a, a freelance animator. Yeah. I did a little bit of that, a little bit of advertising, uh, some bumpers and things. And it's fun for... Uh, it can be fun, but for the most part... I, I I realized that the energy that I have to do this, I just need to focus on my own stuff because mm. that takes up all of my energy right there. I mean, um, but uh, yeah, and it's just not. I don't know. I just I, I lost the joy for doing freelance. Mm. You know. Yeah. So I mean, for the most part, you know, there's always exceptions, and there have been exceptions, but um, but like I I don't know. I'm, I'm there's so many stories that I want to tell that I will never get to them unless I live to be 200 years old, which I plan to, but, you know, see how that goes. 
Is this uh, having a day job? Does that mean that you have to really plan out? Do you, do you have to be quite regimented in your your process? Is that like you say, okay, Wednesday I'm going to go in and I'm going to record the voices, or I'm going to go and do this, and Thursday is this day, or is it just as each thing hits, you you deal with it as it comes? I think. I, I, in my mind or on paper, it's regimented, but it just kind of, it's like what I have an opportunity to do at what time. Um, I th- what, what really helps is not playing video games. Yeah. <laughs> not playing video games, not just sitting down binge watching TV. Um, again, over the years, I've, I've developed the method where a few years ago, I set up my office really cool and had everything. But then I'd have to go into the office and sit down and work, and it was isolated from my wife because I, no one wants a divorce. <laughs> so I figured out a few years ago, like, you know what? Why am I even going away to draw? I have my little sketchbook here, and mm-hmm. I can draw. Anyway. So I love drawing in the kitchen. I love drawing in the living room. I love you know, just hanging out and working on just kind of chipping away at stuff. Yeah. That's, and that's the method I use. I, I just chip away, and by the time you know it, you have like a full cartoon done. But it really does, the discipline comes in in the other stuff. It's in your free time, not playing video games, not, you know, um, I mean, for the most part, but, um, and and I don't work for hours and hours every night either. There'll mm-hmm. be days and days I go without working on something. But like, for example, tonight, I'll go home and probably do one or two shots. And I don't mean of whiskey or anything, I mean, of the film and that's right there that's like i've got a couple of shots done yeah you know and then those add up so it's uh how they say how do you eat an elephant Mm -hmm. with tabasco sauce (laughs) (laughs) do you do you work late into the night or i used to all the time i used to i used to um because that will stop you getting yeah yeah that gets that gets old too um, I, I think if just an hour or, or two at a time is good. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I don't work every day, but, uh, I'm, I think by nature, I'm probably wired as a night owl. Um, I, I was talking with my wife about that the other day. I was like, I am such a morning person. And she's like, no, you're not. You're, you're a <laughs> night owl, but you've been turned into a morning person. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Cause I've like now I naturally wake up at like six o'clock or five forty-five every day, just with no alarm, I mm-hmm. wake up now because of over the years of working. But that's good, though, because you get more done in the day. But, uh, yeah, that year and a half I was off, I, I was a night owl. I was definitely a not, not a morning owl, but a night owl, mm-hmm. you know, staying up pretty late. Do you do you keep it analog? You, you said you like to sketch wherever you are and you have a sketch pad. Yeah, I just I recently got an iPad Pro because I thought, oh, I'm going to now do my cartoons digital and I've just gone back. I still love drawing in the sketchbook. Mm-hmm. There's just something feels good about it. Plus, you have after you have this crazy looking sketchbook afterwards with all these weird body parts floating around in it, and and eyeball shots and faces and things and backgrounds. And I like that because I, I go through my old sketchbooks once in a while and I'll put photos on Instagram or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot I drew that. But I mean, I I really do. The digital stuff has always been, in fact, for the last six or seven years, digital has been like supplemental. Mm-hmm. There'll be a few shots that I sneak in there that are completely digital. And I don't, just be out of convenience, you know, I usually do that. And I'm not against going totally digital, but it's just, 
I'm hooked to the sketchbook now. I like I like drawing with ink so much. Yeah. Yeah. What do you use? What's what's your um, your tools? Canson or Canson is it? I have no I don't idea. I want to call it Canson. <laughs> those are my favorite sketchbooks. I bought a bunch of those. Use those, um, and they're smaller ones. They're the five by eight or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, they're really pretty small because I draw. I like to draw kind of small, and I'll just use I, what I call liquor store pens. I just <laughs> whatever's on whatever's available. Usually, like. Um, uh, gosh, what what are they called? Uh, uh, roller point something. I don't know. But there's sto- you can buy them at Target. You yeah, know, I don't use fan. I do have some microns though. But yeah. I, when I draw with the microns, I'm so like precious. Like, <laughs> I'm wasting the ink on this one. What a cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do when when you when you actually go into the animation process? Is it so I'll I'll draw. My, my process is pretty simple. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll most for the most part draw in a sketchbook scan it into Photoshop, mm-hmm. do all the effects and colorings and blurs and all of that stuff in Photoshop, and then animate it in Flash. Like take those files, Photoshop files, and move them around in Flash, mm-hmm. each shot at a time, and then I edit it in something as simple as uh, iMovie. Mm. You know, So it's very simple. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The, um, the, the process of animation itself is um you, you, like it always comes across as being this like very like one shot one shot one shot at a time but there's like you said you've you've learned to to find shortcuts and cheated stuff and the when you're doing it do you have like an idea do you think to yourself okay this background is going to stay there for the whole thing so i just need to all i have to do is like get from point a to point b and then yeah. I can kind of fudge the rest, or the, is that something that comes through the process? It could be of tricky. Yeah, it could be very tricky sometimes. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll I'll film a lot of reaction shots mm-hmm. so that I can stay within that same file and then yeah. just chop it up. Yeah. So I do a lot of that. It's a lot of trickery that they use in film. Yeah. I use mm-hmm. I use the same stuff. Yeah. In anime. Yeah. And you have to think ahead of time when you're doing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So do that's you, why a lot of times I'll have my audio recorded. Um, or I'll have I'll have the 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 file the art file done, and then the audio and all the audio that I need, so that it, it kind of gives me a roadmap mm-hmm. a little bit. Do you thumbnail or is this? I do uh, quite a bit, but not always. Sometimes, like I said, like sometimes I don't even. Um, this is the braggery, but sometimes I don't even draw with pencil. I'll just draw ink to page straight. Uh-huh. Um, same thing with thumbnails. Sometimes I don't thumbnail at all. Sometimes, like with this latest thing I'm working on. I thumbnailed the first third, and like I'm in the middle of the film now, kind of freestyling it. Like, <laughs> and then I'll probably at the end go, you know what? I need to thumbnail the ending. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, it just depends. Again, it is a little bit like improvisation. It's kind of what's working at the moment, mm-hmm. and you kind of use your gut and and have fun with it. Um, I find that when I try to thumbnail an entire film, it's I feel a little bit like it's like homework. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a chore. Like, okay, yeah. now I have to do the but a little bit at a time works, though. A little bit at a time. That helped me get a, this latest thing. Helped me. It helped me get a start with it. it had, and then once I got that little push, then I'm, I'm riding the bike all by myself now until mm-hmm. I crash into a tree. <laughs> do you, you, you use YouTube exclusively, or do you have... 
I have some stuff on Vimeo. I okay. love YouTube, though. I thought like I I love the freedom of YouTube and the free of YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a great way, a great way to ha- to get a to build an audience. You know, it really works. But um, I'm open to other platforms too. I use YouTube uh, because it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm totally open to other platforms. I um, that San Giorno Must Die that, mm-hmm. that series that I did was on uh, Titmouse and Six Point Harness. Two animation studios got together and they started a channel called Rugburn, mm-hmm. and it was a series on Rugburn, mm. and that was a great like that boosted my numbers like huge. I mean, so many people would watch that those films because of the the branding. So I'm like open if there's other platforms like that, I'd love to play them. And I played f- lots of festivals and things like that too. Yeah, but YouTube it comes back. YouTube is the ease of YouTube. Yeah, you can watch it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I think most people watch it on the toilet though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that it, I mean, if you see the the charts on the the most viewed websites, I mean, it's I think uh, Amazon is in second place. Really? And it's like if it was a bar graph, it would be like two inch. Oh. And then YouTube is giant, like yeah. fifteen, sixteen inches of. We're in a f- in years from now. I I know you. There will be something else. People yeah. will be like, oh, you don't watch your stuff through Implant? Hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, but for right now, YouTube, I mean, somebody will listen. Hopefully, somebody will listen to this in the future and be laughing. YouTube, those guys, <laughs> those guys. <laughs> but it's still, it's one of the oldest platform uh, websites yeah. around, isn't it? Yeah, so I was on it. I was, I have sadly low numbers for on YouTube that I should have, <laughs> I should have Taylor Swift's <laughs> numbers right now. I've been on it so long and... Um, when I hit a thousand, it was like I was gonna. Oh, should I retire? <laughs> and and I know people that have. I have friends that have twenty thousand subscribers. You know, mm-hmm. and and it, it's just different. It's just it's like catching a wave. Yeah, I guess you know, it doesn't it doesn't um, it does um, sort of I guess uh, weighs on my conscious a little bit once in a while, mm. but for the most part, no. For the most part, it's. My immediate reaction now is to put stuff on YouTube. I'll go directly to YouTube. Now I'm starting to think a little bit differently. I'm, I'm starting to think, I, I really like telling longer stories. Mm-hmm. So now I, all kinds of thoughts are going through my mind. Should I tell these longer stories and chop them up into little episodes? Should I break it in half? Should I, you know, there's all, all kinds of thoughts like that. And then with those thoughts comes, well, w- what will the most people watch? Mm-hmm. And see there, I'm kind of like catering a little bit, but it's just that's a natural thing. You want people to see, yeah, see your work, and uh, and th- and that's another reason I kind of stopped doing festivals for a few years because I thought with one festival, um, if I put something on YouTube, that equals you know 30 festivals, <laughs> the amount of people that see your work, mm-hmm. and it really is true. I mean, you reach so many from all over the world. I mean, getting emails from um, you know, different parts of the, of the world is really exciting. Mm. Yeah, really exciting. Um, Do you have a fan base somewhere unusual, somewhere that you really didn't expect to? Yes. Um, the south of England, <laughs> really big, <laughs> a little town called... <laughs> um, I, I, I've received from uh, emails from Russia. Mm-hmm. Usually they say they want my bank account information, <laughs> but I'm sure they really are fans. But... Um, Let's see. Um, Middle East, because mm-hmm. Revengeance, 
played in the Middle East. Mm. So I'm getting, I got some emails from there. Um, in, in, actually, when I first got my first email from the UK, I was really excited. Yeah, I was like, "Wow, oh, I've been there. I could be. I could go there and play my cartoons." Um, but it's anyway. I'm, I'm happy to get them from anywhere, mm-hmm. even the junk mail spam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so happy to get it. Uh, you said that the the catering to YouTube to like the idea of chopping up stories. Does that do you produce and present? the format of the story to, to cater to YouTube as well. It's like the resolution uh, set for... Um, I work at 1280 by 720. Mm-hmm. And I know there's people out there going, oh, that are techies going, oh, my God. But, I mean, that's I've, I've worked at that for years, and I'm happy with it. Um, I used to work... I didn't know anything about pre- presentation before. I, I was working at, like... Three hundred by like you know five hundred. I don't know. I had no concept. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'm I am a perfect example of of naivety can be your strongest ally because back in the day, I, I had a cartoon called Mama I'm a Thug, mm-hmm. and it played at Spike and Mike's. Mm-hmm. It was the first thing I'd ever played on a big screen, and I was terrified. But that cartoon is is one of those three hundred by whatever four hundred you know, pixels and they converted it to the big screen. And yes, it was all pixelated and choppy, but you know what? It got huge laughs and people got it. It, it really is like music. I mean, you can, if you have a good song and a good feel in this song or a good rhythm and melody, if you record it in your garage, it doesn't matter if you record it at, in New York at the power station or in your garage, it, it, people will get the idea mm-hmm. and get the feel and the soul of it. And it's the same thing with films. You can have the the lowest uh, production value, and if you have the the feel, that little that I guess you'd call it the magic, <laughs> people <laughs> will catch on and they'll 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 believe in it, and uh, and it depends on what you're doing too. I mean, if you're trying to if you're trying to tell Citizen Kane and you're filming it, you know, in a yog the back of a yogurt shop, you know, well, hey, that might work, but <laughs> um, but you know, depend or you're trying to do uh, King Kong and, you know, and you're using a stuffed animal. I mean, it really does depend on what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. But um, my motto has always been what works, works. It just, mm-hmm. I just made that up right now, but that's, that's a great <laughs> motto. And it's going to be my motto from now on. What works, works, because that's all that matters is entertaining the audience. Mm-hmm. Don't, they don't really, really care. I mean, process junkies probably care mm-hmm. about how you did it. And that's cool. But, like I don't know. I think getting hung up on, on process is. I, I I tell people this when I make something. I always picture myself watching it in a room full of people, because do I want to be embarrassed by what I did? Which doesn't matter because sometimes I am anyways. But but do I want to be proud of what I'm playing? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it all comes from. That's kind of I use that as a as my guiding light. You know, I'm gonna watch this with people, and. How do I want to feel about it? And then also my other guiding light is just what makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. That's in fact that light lights up my whole life. So mm. What does make you laugh? What is? Your... Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> I like. Uh, I'm a big Tim and Eric mm-hmm. fan. I like absurd humor. That's I don't know. I, I mean, I was a big. I am a big Will Ferrell fan too. I think he's hilarious. But a huge Andy Kaufman fan. Um, 
Mike Judge, I think the little subtleties that Mike Judge does, I think, are amazing. Um, the commitment that Will Ferrell has, I think, is amazing. The Tim and Eric, the bizarre, just why am I laughing so hard at this is is great. Uh, there's a lot of things I, I, I that I'm inspired by and I laugh at, but I just think I ever since I was a little kid, I think I've had a weird sense of humor, and weird meaning I don't know. I th- I used to think the funniest jokes in the joke book were the worst jokes, the mm-hmm. ones that weren't funny <laughs> because they were trying to be funny. Yeah. Um, I still think that actually, but um, but uh, yeah, I I guess I don't know if we have there's such a thing as a funny bone. I guess that whatever tickles the funny bone, you can't, you know, you can't. It's hard to define. Mm-hmm. You know? Is there a, a community? Uh, that you've you've discovered in animation, or is it? Do, do you find that it's like you said? You go to a lot of festivals, or you used to do festivals. Is there a sense that, like the same way that the comic community has conventions, and the anime community is very lively? And I think you hit the nail on the head. There's and there's a strong anime community, and there's mm-hmm. a strong 3D community mm. because people are trading secrets all the time. It's I don't see a like a really as solid of a community for for indie animators that are doing I want to say non-commercial stuff just mm-hmm. doing their own films like mine and not that they're not out there but I'm just saying that like a community I haven't seen I wish there was I am the biggest I want more people to do animate I'm the biggest pusher when it comes to hey man do your own film do your own films because I want there to be more animators in the world because um, the more animators there are, the, the more that will push this in America, will push this along. I think other countries have it right. France mm-hmm. have, has it right. Uh, Japan, you know, the way they approach animation, that it's just films. It's just animation is, doesn't have to be for kids. Underground animation doesn't have to be, you know, super X-rated. Um, and there's all kinds of different stories being told. And mm-hmm. I like that. I wish there was more of that here. Hopefully, over time, there will be. It, I mean, America, we're big bucks, too. I mean, what mm. makes the big money is what people go after and copy. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, I mean, we're all millionaires in America, if you're listening to this in another country. <laughs> Everyone is a millionaire. So we understand that, the big bucks. But um, but I wish, yeah, I, that's one thing. I, I want to discover more animators doing, you know, I... I it's funny. I used to always um, complain about why are they all the animators out there just interested in showing off their animation skills and not the story. But um, I guess there could be a happy medium. But I, I, I want to see some more stories too. Mm-hmm. I want to see the writers get into animation. That's what I really want to see because that's when it gets really, really, really cool. Because there's a lot of great animators, but I want to see a lot of great writers do start doing more animation. Mm-hmm. That, that's exciting to me. And there are. It's happening. I mean, if you look around, well, it's happening with comedy because there's a lot of really great comedians getting into animation. I mean, um, you know, t- finally, like, striking up deals with, like, Netflix to do their own stories and stuff. And yeah. That's cool. And I want more of that to happen, but I, want, I, I would love to see more. I'd love to see more variety in animation. You know, where it's not all kids or it's not all anime or it's not all superhero. Yeah. I like just there's room for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. save me a room, dude, while you're there. 
It felt like uh, MTV was getting close to it. Exactly. The, yeah. Liquid television yeah. and all that. Yeah. They were getting close. What happened? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, they had the, the, the head was fantastic. It just stopped. Like all of a sudden, it, something must have happened. Did we, did a planet hit the earth or something back then? I don't remember. Uh, th- we were on the right track in the, in the 90s. Let's mm-hmm. say. It was like animation. You know what? I think what happened is that like Fox with their big shows, Family Guy and Simpsons and all mm-hmm. those, I think Underground became kind of, it could be big. Mm-hmm. So it is underground animation. All those shows are, but it's big, like yeah. underground, above ground, you know. And then underground kind of went back deep underground, you know. Yeah. Let's you know, let's let's get you know, let's get weirder and weirder. Um, but it was yeah, there was some good stuff in the nineties. Nineties was like when animators were rock stars too. Yeah, I got in the game way too late, <laughs> way too late. <laughs> Is there any other formats you'd you'd like to do? I know you you, you said like you moved into animation away from film, but I do shot a music video, a yeah. live action one, mm-hmm. uh, for a song that was in one of the um, films I did called "Cherries in the Snow." Uh-huh. The song was called uh, "Forbidden Foreplay," <laughs> very eighties <laughs> freestyle disco, mm-hmm. um, and it was hilarious because it was f- so much fun to do. Um, I would love to do more like things like that, mm-hmm. you know. When I, and again, when I see Tim and Eric, some of the things they do makes me want, oh, man, live action. That, that's what I would want to do. And then um, I discovered this uh, guy called, uh, named Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> um, I can't wait for his next film, but I, <laughs> I'm really... So it's like on one hand, yeah, I, I'm a huge Tim and Eric fan, but on the other hand, I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick, the most serious, mm-hmm. dark filmmaker. You know, I like that, too. So I think... Because it speaks, it, that sort of speaks to my own personality. It's like I feel like I'm ghetto epic, yeah, which is another coin, a term I'm going to coin. Um, I feel like I I I like the big epic pr- pr- presentation of these really ridiculously small, you know, ideas or, or, mm-hmm. or these, you know, um, King Lear told in a donut shop type that feel. Um, and and uh, that's I, I don't know that's I think something subconscious and consciously I've always approached it that that way, you know. Let's present it as if it's Orson Welles yeah. make, making you know a film about a you know a DJ or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you, where do people where would you like them to find your stuff? Or? Well, there's the the, the, the YouTube. Mm-hmm. There's that. Um, I'm a Jim Luhan on there. I'm also on Instagram a lot. I post a lot of clips and things on Instagram, but mainly uh, subscribe to YouTube and uh, what else? Oh, I do have a Patreon. Keeps me in T-shirts. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. That's T-shirt money right there, baby. Um, but uh, mainly on YouTube. They can go to jimluhan.com as mm-hmm. well. Oh, and revengeancemovie.com. Uh, that's the, uh, all the info you'll need to ever know on that film. Uh, I, by the way, did a film with Bill Plimpton, the king of indie animators. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for having me. And I am who I am, Jim Lujan. Or wait, what do I say? This is who I am. <laughs> I am what I am, and that's all what I am. Thank you. Thank it's been a you. pleasure. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. 
If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.